This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Hey, I don't know what kind of week you've had or what kind of month you've had, but we all have those times in life where it feels like, I don't know if I can take one more thing. The the moments that we ask, what is happening? I, I came across this week an insurance report. And I want to read this to you briefly because I think it kind of describes sometimes the way life may feel. This guy writes in the insurance report, Dear Sir, I'm writing a response to your request for additional information in block number three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for further explanation and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. And on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which weighed later, we found out, 240 pounds. And rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks onto it. Then I went down and untied the rope holding it tightly to ensure the slow descent of the 240 pounds of bricks. You will note on the accident reporting form that my weight is 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in Section 3 on the accident reporting form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph 2 of this correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I'd regained my presence of mind and was able to hold the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel, and now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. At the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations on my, on my legs and lower body. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks, and fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks, in pain, unable to move, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. Have Have you ever felt like that? Like one thing after another, things just keep happening And it feels like, what else can go wrong? What is happening? If you've ever had that kind of day, that kind of week, maybe that kind of season in life, there's a guy in Scripture that I think you and I can relate to in a huge way. His name is Job. If you go to Job chapter 1, I love the way this book begins. Because in chapter 1, first verse, here's what it says. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. I think that is one of the coolest beginnings to a book in the Bible because of the clout this guy had. In the land of Uz, there was a man who lived there whose name was Job. 
This man was blameless and upright. We read in verse 2, He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now imagine, this is Scripture. This is what God is saying about Job. Verse 4, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with him. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So this family is a close family. The kids love to hang out together. They enjoy each other's time. And, and this father is consistently praying for and concerned with his kids' spiritual condition. Everything he does is for their benefit. This is a tight family. This is a blessed family. And this is a man that God calls blameless and says, hey, in that land, there's no one greater. And then in the following verses, we read how our enemy, Satan, approaches God and basically says to God, hey, people on earth only worship you because of how good you are to them. People on earth only honor you because it's almost like you're paying them off so they live a good life and then they'll worship you and of course they worship you no human would ever worship you no matter what you did if if life were not good people only worship because you're good to them and they feel like you're good to them but if life gets tough not only do they not worship you they'll blame you and verse 8 then the lord said to satan have you considered my servant job there's no one on earth like him he's blameless and upright a man who fears god and shuns evil now, before we go any further, there's something that stands out to me in that, in, in that one verse. God found no fault with Job, but Satan did. And I think that's true so many times in our lives. Things that you've walked through, things that I've walked through, things we're ashamed of, that we've asked God for forgiveness, and there's been a genuine repentance. And repentance, it's a church word, and it just means, man, I agree with God. He's right. I'm wrong. And I need to change my direction and follow what God says I need to do in my life and how God says I need to think in my life. And so we have those moments where we ask for forgiveness, and Scripture teaches that God forgives us. God no longer finds fault with us on that issue. But our enemy continues to lob those thoughts into our mind and remind us of our worst moments and remind us of the things we're ashamed of. So I think it's good to remember God found no fault with Job, but Satan did because he's the accuser. And then notice what happens in verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While, Scripture says, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they're dead, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Because sometimes it feels like one thing after another 
And we're left reeling in what, what is happening? We, we've all asked that question. There have been moments in your life, moments in my life, where we've asked, God, what is happening? But I think if we look at this more closely, it wasn't that Job didn't know what was happening. Job, Job knew what happened. What he didn't know was why it was happening. Verse 20, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. You get to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, Job's friends approach. After all that he's been through, his friends hear about it. They make a long journey to come see Job. We read about it in verse 12. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him, and they began to weep aloud. And they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Because when you walk through pain, when you walk through uncertainty, when you go through one difficulty after another, it will change you. It is going to change you. And how you and I process that and deal with that determines what that change looks like. Just his appearance caused his friends to weep aloud. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Silence. But presence. Job's friends travel this distance, and they sit in silence, sympathizing with him. They sat in silence. It's not until chapter 4 that they begin to speak. And when they begin to speak, their mistake was in thinking they had to explain Job's situation to him and, and tell him how to change it. And it was a dreadful mistake. Sometimes it's just being there. When people are hurting, they often, when people are hurting, they don't need our prescription, they need our presence. They don't need us to tell them what we think about it. It's just the warmth of the presence of a loving friend. And Job actually gets to the place where mentally and emotionally he says, I, I just wish things could be like they were. Have you ever thought that? Chapter 29, verse 1. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me. Have you ever felt, especially with what we've been through over the last almost a year, have you ever felt like, man, I, I just wish it could be like it used to be. He's describing what he wished. He, he wished he could go back and have his family back. He wished he could have his, his wealth back. Back when he had his health and he'd not lost everything. And, and we tend to do that. Remember when we could go to games in the masses of crowds, screaming around us, cheering for, for our kids or for the same team? R remember when we could walk through places and we didn't worry about any kind of distance between us. Remember, remember when we could attend church and you didn't have to have empty seats beside you or skip rows in between you. Remember when we could have a conversation with someone outside, maybe in an office building, maybe a coworker, and you could actually, when they were talking, see their smile. Remember those days? And we spend a lot of time wishing for what was. But when you're wishing for there, you're not really here. And there's something that happens in the 29th chapter of Job. If, if you've ever been there, if you've ever felt like, man, it's, it's just been one thing after another. I don't know how I can take it. It was the pandemic and then the, the fear for, are we going to be safe? And what about our health? And then my income was cut or, or maybe you lost your job because 
of the pandemic and what was going on and, and things seemed so uncertain financially and things seemed so uncertain physically and th- sometimes because of the tense that, uh, the stress that creates and the tension that creates, things begin to seem uncertain relationally with people we're close to and, and everything seems so uncertain. But notice, notice verse 18 of Job chapter 29. Job speaking. Then I said, I shall die in my nest in this place where I am right now, where things have gotten to, how things are, this is what's going to take me out. I'm going to die in this. God has introduced Job to the gift of uncertainty. Then I, then I said, I shall die in my nest. I, I shall die in my nest. When I think about the word nest, it's a place of comfort and safety. But I, I think of birds. Did you know the female eagle is extremely picky when choosing her mate? The pickiest of all the birds. In fact, the female eagle, if there's a male eagle that's flirting with her or that wants to be her mate, the female eagle will take a stick and will fly up thousands of feet into the air and drop that stick. And the male eagle eventually figures out, oh, okay, you, you want me to get the stick for you because, it, guys, it, it takes us a moment sometimes. And so the male eagle will begin to dive. The male eagle can fly at almost 200 miles per hour. And he will dive and he will grab that stick and then take it back up. And then the female eagle will grab a branch and fly up about 5,000 feet in the air, not quite as high, and drop it. And the male eagle is beginning to catch on and reacts more quickly this time and says, I need to get that for her and will take off and dive and grab that branch. And it takes a little more strength to grab it and to slow the momentum of the branch and to turn and to fly back up. Then the female eagle, the female eagle will go and will grab a small tree or a large bush and fly up a few hundred feet, two or three or four hundred feet and drop it. And the male eagle more quickly this time, because he knows what's going on, goes for that small tree or that large bush and grabs it. But this time, because of the weight with his talons wrapped around it, he uses all the strength he can to try to stop the momentum of what's falling and pull it back up and fly back up to her. Why would a female eagle go through all of this? Then I said, I shall die in my nest. Why would a female eagle do this? Because one day that female eagle wants to be a mother. And she knows there's going to be a day as a mother when her little ones will need to leave the nest. And it's in falling to the earth that they will learn to fly. And she's looking for the one who will be a father that's powerful enough to let them fall but not be destroyed. And so today in this moment and what you're walking through in life, if you ever felt like or maybe today you feel like you're tumbling and you're falling and the nest has been blown up and life is upside down and one thing after another has hit you and everything seems like the bottom has fallen out of your life and it looks like the rocks are getting closer and closer and there's going to be a crash, you need to understand you have a father that can fly faster than you can fall. You have a God that loves you deeply and you may fall but you won't be destroyed. You may fall, but you'll ultimately find yourself in the loving arms of a God grabbing you and rescuing you and taking you up. And it's in that moment of uncertainty, when it seems like everything's going wrong, when it seems like not one more thing could happen that's bad, and it does, and it does, and it does. It is in these moments of uncertainty that we find this unique gift, because it's in uncertainty that we learn to soar. 
It's an uncertainty that we learn the presence of God and the faithfulness of God and the love of God. Maybe your life has been incredibly painful. Maybe you've walked through one tragedy after another and you have no idea why. These are not things that are a result of your own choices. We all make stupid mistakes. But these are things that just sort of happened that you had no control over. And it seems like somewhere the universe or maybe even God or at least God's allowing it is just punching you again and again and nothing is going right. Listen, life, life is not about what happens to you. It's about what you do with what happens to you. And sometimes in life, what can seem like the most cruel season leaving the nest, the place of comfort, and falling and trying to figure it out while you're falling, what can seem like the most cruel season can be the most beneficial. And it all depends on how we process it. So this week, as we walk through this week, each day, each moment, let's master the disaster of doubt and know that our God is sovereign. Our God is in control. So, so what do we do? When everything is uncertain, how, how do we unwrap the gift of uncertainty and find the gift there that helps us through these kinds of days? I, I think there are three things we have to do. First, I will trust God because He has a plan. I will trust God because He has a plan. The Almighty is a key name for God in the book of Job. It's used 31 different times. And it speaks to us that no matter what happens in our lives, God is on the throne and he's, he's got everything under control. Even when it seems out of control, it's always under control for our God. One of the lessons that God has been teaching me as we've been through the last almost year, when the pandemic hit and everything came to a screeching halt, I, I don't do well with screeching halt. I don't do well with you can't do this and you can't do this. I, I don't do well with... Okay, you've got to stay at this location and you can't go out of it and you've got to, you've got to kind of lock down for a little while. I, I don't do well with that. I need to be going. I need to be moving. There are things to accomplish. And one of, the, one of the blessings of this season, because there are blessings in every season, sometimes you have to dig harder and go further to look for them. But God is always doing something, even in difficult moments and even in pain. One of the blessings for me has been, I, I began to realize I needed, I needed to pause for a minute. When someone passes away, we often use the phrase, R.I.P., rest in peace. You know, one of the things I'm learning is that resting in peace is just as possible for the living. You, you can, in crisis, rest in peace. In chaos, rest in peace. In pain, rest in peace. Today, today, no matter what you're walking through, you can rest in the peace of knowing that God is sovereign. He has a plan. He loves you deeply. Before you were even born, He sent His Son to die for you. That's how much He loves you. And so God has got everything under control, even when it looks like it's spinning out of control. Just rest in peace. I will trust God because He has a plan. Also, in the gift of uncertainty, part of that gift is I will seek God because I have a purpose. God has given each and every one of us a very specific purpose. Pre-pandemic, you may have believed the lie that a lot of us believed is, man, life is so busy and I, don't, I just can't get everything done. I need to get done. If I just had more time and then all of a sudden, what did we get? More time. And we learned it wasn't about more time. It's about being intentional with the time that we have. I will seek God because I have a purpose. 
Now, I don't know what your specific purpose is. I believe there's a very specific reason God has you on planet Earth. A very specific reason God has me on planet Earth. There's an ultimate purpose for our lives individually. But as followers of Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, we share in purpose. One of our purposes is to help people that don't know Jesus find a relationship with Him and find the hope that that is found in a relationship with Him. But another part of our purpose is to comfort people. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. And so when you and I experience the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, when we learn to rest in peace, even in chaos, when we learn that God has a plan and I can trust Him and, and I will seek Him because I have a purpose and I want to I learn from Him and know from Him, God, why am I here on this earth? What is my purpose? As I walk through that and I deal with pain, as God comforts me, I'm able to comfort others. And then another thing we're going to do, all of us, man, this week, let's do this. I will live today in light of forever. I will live today in light of forever because over the last few months, we've learned that anything can change in an instant. And we've known that individually. For you, it was that phone call or that text or that loved one that suddenly passed away or the change in job or the loss of job. We've known things can happen, but this on a grand scale for all of us, things changed in a moment. Job, in an instant, gets a message, and then another message, then another message, then another message, and he loses everything. And by the time we get to chapter 42 in Job, God has restored what Job had lost, and God is blessing Job because of Job's faithfulness, because he continued to trust God, he continued to seek God, and he lived in the moment in light of eternity. I will live today in light of forever. But by the time we get to chapter 42, God has restored all that Job lost and more. But... That might not happen the same way for you or for me. It, it might not happen in a way that we can list down our wealth and how God brought all of that back. There may not be categories or silos that we can put things in to explain, oh, this is what God did more. We, we may not see all of it. There, there may well be losses in life that are not recovered in this life. So if that's the case, what do we hold on to? What do we hope for? One simple thought. 42 chapters. No matter what happens to us in this life, God always writes the last chapter. No matter what you're walking through in these days, if you're a follower of Christ and you're trusting God because He has a plan and you're seeking God because He's given you a purpose and you're living today in light of forever, that's how you navigate uncertainty. Those three simple things, it's the gift and what you'll begin to see and I'll begin to see as we walk through uncertainty is how faithful God is, how good God is, and we'll be able to trust the fact that God always writes the last chapter. One of my favorite verses in all of Job. Job chapter 42, verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You've heard of the faithfulness of God. But now you're experiencing it. And it doesn't look like what you thought it would. But you're still in the journey and God is still writing the last chapter. You, you've heard of the peace of God. But there have been those moments over the last few months when everything was wheels off and you, you felt that, that calm, that, that resting in peace. My ears had heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. And if you haven't seen it, 
and you haven't experienced it, why would you miss all that God has to offer? Because the only way you miss this is by not knowing God in a personal way. We know there are going to be ups and downs in life. We know there are moments you're going to be pushed out of the nest and it becomes uncomfortable. We know there are moments you're going to get the unexpected, unexplained bad news one after another. We know there will be days and seasons where you feel like you just can't take one more thing. But there's a gift in that, in all the uncertainty. And the gift is the ability to know God in a deeper way, the ability to, to trust God and seek God and live today in light of forever. And when you do that, it shifts the perspective and you can see how even in these circumstances, God is working and God is faithful. And you can hold on to that hope that's anchored in a reality of truth that's never been wrong, that God always writes the last chapter. So today, if you've never committed your life to Christ, man, I, I can't think of one good reason not to do that today. We know life is going to be hard. But allow God to give us that gift of uncertainty and all that comes with it. And we only get it when we know Jesus in a personal way. And so if that's your next step today, if you'd like to invite Christ to come into your life to forgive your sin, to, to walk with you in each moment of life, and to write the last chapter for you, I want to encourage you just to pray a very simple prayer. I want to encourage you to bow your head, close your eyes, you, you can pray this prayer out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. So just pray this simple prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I would love to know that. I want to invite you to shoot me a text. The number is going to be right here on the screen. Shoot me a text. Just put your first name and send me the text. And the reason I ask you to do that is this afternoon, I'll get that list of names and I'll be able to pray for you by name throughout the week. I would love to be able to do that. And then I want to encourage you, man, join us next Sunday if you're able to. I would love to see you. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you. Join us at one of our in-person gatherings, 945 or 11 at Regal Cinemas in Waterford right here in Orlando. You can go to c3church.cc forward slash gather because we want you to know there's always room in this family for you. And I'd love to see you next Sunday. Have an amazing week. I'm praying for you. Let's live an intentional life, loving God and loving others this week. God bless you. Have a great week. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at giveC3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.